chapter 6, verse 10. Then when Yahweh your God brings you to the land, he promised your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, fine cities you did not build, houses filled with choice things you did not accumulate, hewn out cisterns you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And you eat your fill. Be careful not to forget Yahweh who brought you up out of Egypt, that place of slavery. You must revere Yahweh your God, serve him, and take oaths using only his name. You must not go after other gods, those of the surrounding peoples. For Yahweh your God, who is present among you, is a jealous God, and his anger will erupt against you and remove you from the land. God has emphasized upon them the need to love him with everything. And he's emphasizing the fact that he has promised the land to them, and he is the one that's going to give them the land. However, this presents a danger. There are dangers to your faith in poverty and barrenness. And that danger is to curse God and think that he doesn't care about you, that he doesn't bless you, or that he's against you in some kind of a way. We have seen that in the wilderness with the older generation. We have seen that throughout history in our own country and with people that we know. Suffering can bring a hatred or bitterness or a questioning of God. But God now warns against the opposite, that he's going to bring them into land with incredible abundance. They're going to walk into land with cities and vineyards and houses that they didn't build. This is going to be everything given to them. Okay, and they have not had to work for any of it, although they will do a different kind of working, and that's the conquest. But to a certain extent, they will not. And it will be very easy in your life of luxury and easiness to forget about who God is. When things come easily, when you no longer work or suffer for things, then you tend to forget the God who provided them for you, and you cease to be desperately in need of who he is and his guidance. And so he warns against this. He says, I am going to give you these blessings, but even my blessings can become a danger to your obedience and your faithfulness and your love to me. Because here's the thing. We can corrupt anything. You say, well, God, why would you give us something that we can corrupt? Because we corrupt everything. And that's the reality of what he's warning them against, is to remember. And this would probably speak more to us in America and our lives and our abundance. Maybe we can relate to the wilderness sense and a suffering through physical pains and loss of family members or chronic pain or whatever. Um, but we can relate to this abundance of the the houses that are just freely built for us and the abundance of the grocery stores wherever we go and the ability that no matter how much we struggle poverty-wise, we still have tons of money for entertainment, which most people in the world don't have. And God is basically saying, do not let this make you start acting like the culture. Don't let this make you act like the culture where you begin to do things like the pagans. And the big one is, is when you begin to make promises like the pagan gods and you swear in their names. Now, I know that none of us have sworn in the name of television or sworn in the name of money that I'm going to do something, but in a way we have. 
because we have invested more in entertainment or luxury or money than other things, is, which is a kind of an oath-making itself. Not, you don't have to swear an oath to take an oath. Sometimes you swear an oath by just the amount of time, thought, and energy that you devote to something. And so I don't have to swear an oath to be faithful to my wife just by the mere fact of time and energy I put into her is a oath in itself. And so, and I'm not, no, I'm not saying you don't have to swear an oath to your wife when you get married. I'm just saying that that is not necessary for me to serve her. And so this is what God is warning against. Because he's reminding them that everything that you have is ultimately from God. Now, I've heard many people say, but I and the one who went to college. I'm the one that got this degree. I'm the one that worked my rear end off to get this. I'm the one that built this company up from scratch. I'm the one that goes to work all the time. That's my money that I made. Well, the reality is the reason you have a brain, the intelligence that's able to pull that off, and the physical body and the health to pull that off is because God gave it to you. Two, we all know that a lot of what you have has to do with being in the right place at the right time, connected to the right people, and the right people gave you the right opportunity to prove yourself, which that could have been completely done away way by God if you wanted to. And so there's a lot of factors in play beyond your intelligence and your hard work that really ultimately is still comes down to God providing all this for you, no matter how much you worked off your rear end and how hard you went to school. And so this is what we need to remember is that everything we have, everything that we're able to accomplish, all the skills that we have are all a gift from God. And it's easy to forget that in our land of luxury, in our land of our self-effort. So verse 16, you must not put Yahweh your God to the test as you did at Massa. Now Massa is where they complained about no water. Keep his commandments very carefully as well as the stipulations and statutes he commanded you to observe. Do whatever is proper and good before Yahweh, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enter and occupy the good land that he has promised your ancestors, and that you may drive out all the enemies just as Yahweh said. Your blessings in the land, your ability to prosper, what we would call the good life, is all completely dependent upon you and your obedience to the law. And this is going to be repeated over and over and over again. That blessings are a result of your obedience. Blessing is not a result of hard work. It is not the result of a good education. There is a certain extent where hard work and good education can get you a lot of opportunities, even for people who are not believers. There's lots of people who are being blessed with their work and their intelligence that are not connected to God, or a lot of people who just get lucky, or a lot of people are just generous to them. But the ultimate, what he's talking about, is not individual cases. He's talking about the overall health of the nation. We know lots of non-believers who have nothing to do with God, and they've got great lives in a materialistic blessing sense. But I also could probably point, go deep into any of their lives and show you that they're not really truly happy. They're not really truly content. I mean, you name a celebrity, and I could probably find an interview where they're saying they're depressed. And I know because I've found many, many, many interviews with many celebrities who are really depressed, despite having everything. 
What God is talking about here is not individual, well, look at that person. They got blessings. They're not walking with God. He's talking about the overall health of the entire nation. This is a corporate speech to a corporate people. God very rarely deals with the individuals in these kind of books. And so what he's dealing with is the overall health. And that means economic stability. That means just an overall content and satisfaction among the majority of people in the nation. That just means prosperity and blessings. Any nation can look at their obedience and immediately know what kind of blessings they're going to have overall as a nation. What kind of stability, what kind of health, what kind of happiness, what kind of contentment. And if there is no stability, or there is a depression, or there is a lack of hope, then it's a direct result of a disobedience to the law. We're not under the Mosaic Covenant today, but the law is still God's values. And the general adherence to the law still results in the general blessings for whoever follows it. That's the whole point of Proverbs. Proverbs is basically like, if anybody, anybody, whether they're in the covenant people or not, live in these kind of ways, then God will bless them. And that's what he's saying here. The only way you can have blessing, the good life, shalom, in the land, is if you're obedient to the law, period, as a nation. Verse 20, when your children ask you later on, what are the stipulations and statutes and ordinances that Yahweh our God commanded you, you must, not, you must say to them, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but Yahweh brought us out of Egypt in a powerful way. And he brought signs and great devastating wonders on Egypt, on Pharaoh and on his whole family. Before our very eyes, he delivered us from there so that he could give us the land he had promised our ancestors. And Yahweh commanded us to obey all these statues and to revere him so that it may always, may always go well for us and we may preserve us. And he has this to this day. We will be innocent if we carefully keep all these commandments before Yahweh our God, just as he demands. Now, this is a fascinating question and answer. Now, notice he says, when your children ask, because we know, if you've ever been with children, they ask tons of questions on everything. Now, notice God doesn't say, because I told you so. Now, I was one of those kids who had tons of questions for a lot of people at church. And I got a lot of, I don't know, or that's just the way we do it. There was a couple people in my life who made attempts, still didn't have a whole lot of answers, but they at least recognized that those aren't good enough answers. But it made me question and dig deeper and deeper and deeper to try to find these answers. And it's a lot of reasons probably why I'm a Bible teacher is I just was <laughs> never satisfied with a lot of answers that I got. And so the reality is God says you're, you're to have answers. Now, that doesn't mean you have to know every answer to every question in the universe. There's lots of times I'm like, I don't know when I talk to my children or even my students at school. But there needs to be something there. And the children ask tons of questions. But notice what's interesting. It says that when the children ask, what are the laws and the stipulations? Like, what must we do? What were the rules that we have to obey? Now, most of the time in the church, we often hear the, 
don't drink, don't do drugs, don't have sex before marriage. And that was like pounded into us in the youth group. I don't know about your guys' generation, but mine. But that's not God's answer. That his answer doesn't seem to fit the question. The question is, what are the rules? What are the laws? And God's answer is that you're to tell your children that God saved us from slavery. God defeated our oppressors. God delivered us from the foreign powers. God delivered us into this promised land. When they ask what are the laws, he immediately starts with, God is the God who saved us, delivered us, defeated us, broke our bondage, freed us from the chains. And he brought us into this land just as he promised. That's where he begins. And then he goes and says, therefore, we are to obey what he commanded. Therefore, these are the rules, the Ten Commandments. Now, what's interesting is that I know we don't do this intentionally, but as humans, our natural default is just to go into behaviorism, to just make sure everybody behaves the way that they're supposed to. And the gospel is shared, but it seems like I feel like one Sunday we're sharing the gospel, and another Sunday we're pounding behaviorism, that kind of stuff. But you don't feel like the gospel and behaviorism are brought together a whole lot. A lot of times it's like, well, that's what you're supposed to do, or you'll get in trouble if you don't, or there's consequences for this. And there is a little bit of that, so it may go well for you in the land, but notice the motivation is because this is the, who your God is. Because God saved you. Because God showed you more love than anybody else ever has. Because God delivered you from things that nobody else could have ever delivered you from. And now all he wants is you to act like him. To live like him. To be his son or daughter. Because sons and daughters always act like their parents. So the reality is, is what he's saying here is, your motivation is obedience because he loved you first. And that's the answer that you're giving to your children. When your children say, what are the rules? You start with the amazing character of God being absolutely unique to all their beings who did something that no other being ever did by delivering you from your empty, useless, pathetic, enslaved life. And now he just wants you to act like his children because he adopted you. That's a much different answer than pounding. Now, make sure you tell them. <laughs> I mean, I've given lessons. I've been asked to speak in different youth groups at different times, and I've been told now, make sure you remind them that they're not supposed to do this and this and this and this. I'm like, but that has nothing to do with the lesson you want me to teach. Okay, but there's that emphasis there. And, and I know, I'm not saying you're never supposed to do that, but just growing up being a lot of churches, that's what we tend to just default into so often. And a lot of a lot of students, even when I give like rules and I explain the reasons for these rules, they're like, whoa, I never knew that. That kind of makes sense. Like, how did you get to high school? Now, granted, sometimes they're just not listening. But two, 
if we had been answering like this for so repetitively and every person in their life had, it doesn't matter whether they hadn't listened here or there, they still would know the answer because it had been said so many times. And it is tempting. Even with my own children, it's tempting just to go and, don't do that, don't do that. But there needs to be a sit down. Because the primary starting point is the character of God. The primary starting point is the character of God. That's where God always starts. Now, here's what's interesting. You get to the epistles. Next time you go through an epistle like 1 Peter or 2 Peter or 1 John or Chronicles, pay attention and you'll notice that they don't immediately start saying, do this, do this, do this. Put off sexual immorality, have no slander in your mouth, that kind of stuff. They first start with your identity. They first start with who God is, what he's done for you, and what he's transformed you into, and how great your salvation is, and the amazing gift that he is. And in 1 Peter, it's not until chapter 2 that he starts giving commands. 1 John is not until the end of chapter 1 that he starts giving commands. All the epistle writers, they begin with what your identity is and what God has done for you before they ever get to the do's and the don'ts. And even when God gave the law, he started with, I saved you, I rescued you, I loved you. Therefore, you shall know other gods before you. And you shall, and then that's the way they always started, all the time. It's a pattern that's constantly repetitive in every moment. Because here's the thing. If you are raised by a parent who constantly tells you that you're no good, you will never amount to anything, or physically, verbally abuses you and puts you down, you will begin to think that that's who you are. And for somebody to get you to act in a proper, correct way is going to be an incredibly difficult challenge because they're already starting off with a horrible self-identity. And they're convinced that that's all they're capable of doing. If you take the same child and put them in a home and you constantly tell them that you love them and you hug them and they can be anything and da-da-da-da-da-da, it's going to be much easier to motivate that child to be the correct, acting correctly. They're more likely to believe that they can. They're more likely to have the confidence. And I've seen this. I've seen this with adoptive children who come ver from verbally abusive homes. And it, on one of my friends, it took him a while before he realized, oh my gosh, this, this isn't about behavior. This is about their identity. And my primary task as their adoptive parent is to change their identity. And it's been a long, long, long road with him, with this girl, because he didn't get her until she was like seven or eight. But he has begun to see changes in the last, now after like just going at it for several years now. And things are changing. And that's the reality is we need to focus on the identity of our children and what God has done for them more than the way that you're supposed to act and behave. Now, that should be a part of it because does God not spend a lot of time on behavior and act and rules? And Yes. But his starting point is always what their identity is and what he's done for them. And that's so important to understand. That's exactly where cults start. That's exactly where gangs start. They start with your identity. That's where Hitler started with Hitler's youth. They begin with your identity. They change your identity. When Nebuchadnezzar took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel when they were 12 years old, the first thing he did was he changed all their names. 
and they put them in his education. And he began to change their identity. Now, they didn't allow their identity to be changed because their parents, obviously, or somebody in their life, did such a good job that at 12 years old, they were able to stand up to brainwashing. And that's exactly what the media is trying to do with your children. And that's what exactly the public educations, and even the Christian private education, depending on what school you're going to, are trying to change your kid's identity with their message. And now in this day and age, it's hard to compete with your kids being somewhere else all day and then the few hours that you have. Now, I'm not saying public education is wrong or bad. I'm not saying, I'm just, and I'm not saying everybody should homeschool. It's different packages for different people, da-da-da-da-da. I'm not trying to make any point there. I'm just saying you need to be aware that there is a specific agenda in our culture to change your children's identity to their image. In fact, all media, this is kind of a side note, all media in the world, newspapers, television, music, everything, it's controlled by five companies. If you trace all the, the, the company holders back, it goes back to five companies. All five of them are self-proclaimed Freemasons. And three, I don't know about all five, but three I have specifically read in quotes from them in an interview that they don't let their own children watch television or listen to music because they know it brainwashes people. That's real. Now, I'm not saying you should just go completely no media. That's hard in this day and age. But that's really powerful that three of the five presidents of all the media in the world say they don't even let their... Madonna, I remember reading that. Madonna said she doesn't even let her own children watch music videos because she knows it's brainwashing. And then she's confessed to doing it herself. The reality is we need to be aware that whether we realize it or not as a church... The satanic world has realized the first place you start is with somebody's identity and what you can do for them. And then the behavior just flows out of that. We've been focusing on the wrong thing overall. I'm not saying everybody has and every church has, but overall in America, we've been focusing on the wrong thing. As D.A. Carson says, who's one of my most respected scholars, if you want behaviorism, go join any religion. They all focus on behavior. That's why they always think that they're just like Christianity. But if you want a relationship with a God that changes people unlike any other God, that's Christianity. That's Christianity. And so this is what God says. This is how you are to answer your children. 